Welcome to the All of Life podcast from Redemption Church Tempe, where we have conversations on faith, culture, theology, and beyond to help us live all of life, all for Jesus. Let's jump into today's episode. All right. Well, hello and welcome to the All of Life podcast, where we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. Uh, my name is Josh Butler. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Redemption Tempe, and I am so excited that today we are joined by Angie Wesley from the organization Pro Grace. Uh, she's going to be talking about that more in a minute. Uh, but this podcast series we're doing today, uh, it's part of a four-week series that we're doing for Advent called The Prayer and Action of Christmas. We're basically asking, how can we become a people of prayer and action in response to the God who hears Hears our prayers and has taken action in Christ at Christmas to, to, to redeem and to be with us. And so today, uh, well, first of all, over the last few weeks, we've looked at topics like um, becoming a people of prayer and action as it relates to criminal justice, to uh, working with refugees, to uh, for at-risk youth. And today we're looking at sanctity of life. We're going to be talking about sanctity of life. I believe that God is creator. He is the author of life. And this means that all of life is valuable from the womb to the tomb. Uh, but today we're looking at one of the most vulnerable people groups, perhaps it can be the unborn in the womb, but we want to look at how can we as the church not just kind of make big platitudes or whatever, but actually get constructively involved in our local community to be a people of prayer and action. And that's why I'm so excited that, Angie, we've got you on today. I've been really impacted hearing you talk about this in the past. And uh, so you lead an organization called Pro Grace. Uh, but I wonder if you could open uh, with even talking with us some thoughts about sanctity of life. What, what do those words mean to you? Can you help maybe give us some theological yeah. hooks, even gospel hooks on what is sanctity of life? Yeah, that's great. Well, thanks for having me today, Josh. I have a long time relationship and respect for redemption churches in the Phoenix area. And um, you all, as well as Hope Women's Center, were actually a key part of ProGrace being launched five years ago. So it's really my honor to be here today. And I'd like to actually ask you, when you're, when you're titling this Sanctity of Life, whose life are you talking about? How do we frame Sanctity of Life in our churches traditionally? Great. Well, we want to be for both the women <laughs> and you know, for the mother and the child, which I know we'll get into, definitely. But I do think that, uh, you know, what that speaks to one of the dilemmas is that often I think the way the political discourse is from the rhetoric in our country yeah. can be very polarized, where when we hear a uh, sanctity of life, we tend to think just, I think, in our culture often today, of just right. the child in the womb right. and not of yep. the mother, per se. You know, that that can be, when I just look at kind of the broad national rhetoric, that that, that would be the primary exactly. uh, thing that that think people come, have come to mind. Yeah, and so it's interesting because just December 1st, you know, the Supreme Court was hearing the Mississippi case on abortion. And during those hearings, Justice Kavanaugh said, there are two interests here, but the difficult thing about this issue is you can't serve both of them. You have to pick. And that's what makes it so difficult. That speaks to the very heart of pro-grace because that is the problem with the political discourse. We are told we have to pick, right? We have to value the woman over the child or vice versa. But God <laughs> values them equally. So that's just the very first place to start from and to stop and let our minds rest there a minute. What does it mean that God values the woman and the child equally? And how are we going to need to step away from political discourse and rhetoric that's been telling us for decades we have to pick? You know, we, we were introduced to abortion, most of us, through a political lens, you know, and through a lens of advocating for the child. And so it takes us a while just to stop and think, God, what does it mean 
that you value the woman and child equally. And I'd say during Advent is a great place to stop and think about the mystery of his design of pregnancy, right? He could have brought Jesus into the world any way he wanted. He could bring all life into Mm. the world any way he wanted. But he has created pregnancy, which is such a unique time where two people are intertwined for nine very long months, having been pregnant twice, I'll say that, that's a long time. Mm -hmm. Anything Mm -hmm. you do to one person impacts the other. And so God himself has made it impossible for us to say, we're gonna just help the child and bypass the woman or vice versa. You know, there's this third way that we need to grapple with, like Jesus so often had a third answer for the difficult questions of his time to sit and wrestle for a minute with his design of pregnancy. And why are we as Christians known for being more for the child than for the woman? And how can we change that? Yeah, you know, it's so interesting as we've been in this, uh, we've been in Mary's Mm -hmm. Magnificat this month uh, and her kind of prayer, her song of celebration, uh, Jesus coming and all. Um, And one of the things that struck me was just that Jesus didn't just like hologram, like come down as like a divine, you know, I don't know, kind of um, a holographic image or something we'd interact with. Part of the logic of the Christian faith is that Jesus actually took upon himself full mm-hmm. humanity, but the only way he did that, he chose to do that, was through Mary's mm-hmm. womb. Actually, that I think that speaks to this reality that theologically that uh, a child and the mother, their lives are mm-hmm. intertwined. Like from uh, the moment of conception through birth, like there's a... Uh, there's an intertwining of these two lives that you can't separate. As you're saying, you can't separate and pull them apart without uh, doing damage to one one or the other. And it's so fascinating that that is the way that God has mm-hmm. designed it. Um, have you yeah. are, have you actually seen well, the movie I, The Nativity yeah, Story? I, I would put that out there for no. anybody. Okay, it's old. I watched it when I was pregnant with my son, who's now 14, so it's that old. But it's called Nativity Story. And it shows the reality of what it meant for Mary that she was unmarried and pregnant. And it shows what a violent time it was anyway. Mm. But in that movie, the angel comes to Joseph in the dream to tell him not to leave her as a scene of them stoning her. Like that's part of this story too, Mm. is that she should have been stoned, right? According to the law, Um, Joseph planned to quietly divorce her. The movie shows about how the whole village would have turned against both of them. Like, Jesus himself was born into this place of having that cloud hang over him. And there's just a very special place in the heart of God for a woman who's in this situation that we can meditate on at Advent and really ask ourselves, why have we not listened more to her story? What it's like to be in an unintended pregnancy? Like Mary's Magnificat, what did she have to go through to be able to be at that place of rejoicing, right? Like she didn't know what was ahead of her. Um, And so I find this season really special time to think, how can we put ourselves into the reality today of a woman facing an unintended pregnancy, which is obviously different than what Mary did, but how can we find the heart of Jesus for all those women? Yeah, that's great. And what would you say, you know, the... The name for the yeah. organization, ProGrace, you know, obviously you guys were very intentional in that. And I'm curious, feel free to take either of these two questions. One would be why, yeah. why the name ProGrace? I think most think, you know, pro-life, pro-choice, and, and it feels like you're, you're pointing to this, this uh, kind of third way of, of framing the conversation. Um, but me, another question related to that would be, uh, what have you found from the, you know, the stories, people you're working with and all, like, I, I can imagine when the topic or abortion comes up in the conversation for uh, for many women who have either 
had an abortion or who are facing an unplanned pregnancy, that can be a very uh, intimidating conversation that some of the national political rhetoric, you know, can can make that a very intimidating um, thing to talk about. So even what what emotions and and things can be stirred up um, for for those who are facing an unplanned pregnancy? I, I guess I'm trying yeah. to get at. Do many women in our church feel safe to actually, like, yeah. this is a conversation they can have in, in their church? So um, you asked three yeah. amazing questions. So I think we can do yes. them all and bring me back if, you know, if I go off. Right. But to your last question, LifeWay study did uh, a body of research several years ago, finding that four out of 10 women who have abortions are regular churchgoers at the time. So that's defined as once a month or more. Only 16% of those women talk to anyone at their church before making the decision. So the answer is no, women don't feel safe. In that body of research, they identified several reasons. The primary ones are judgment, fear of judgment, and lack of any visible support for single and parenting moms. Um, of the gener- of the population at large, only 4% of women who get pregnant, sorry, yeah, 7%, sorry, I get the four. 7% of all women who have abortion would go to a church. So in that space, while we are protesting the act of abortion, we have done so in a way that we are not reflecting Jesus in that he was safe for everyone to approach and we aren't, which gets to the name pro-grace. So God intertwining the woman and the child, his design of pregnancy is the first theological underpinning of pro-grace and how we wanna see our thinking shifted. The second theological underpinning is grace as his path for transformation, not judgment. So I've loved the research of Brene Brown, how it backs up the gospel. You know how Jesus always extends grace first, so we know we're accepted and loved. Only then can we actually be transformed, and all of her research on shame validates that gospel truth. But the reality in our churches is we have leveled a lot of the judgment for anyone anyone who's outside of our definition of sexual wholeness, let's say, a lot of that is hidden, right? But when a woman becomes pregnant, she often receives all of the judgment, all of the shame from us because now it's visible. So we have not had a gospel response that speaks to the pregnant woman and her unique needs and accepting her in the church I think because we're so confused about sexuality in the church and what that means. And so it's been kind of a knee-jerk reaction. And women know that's what they're going to be experiencing from a church. And so that keeps them shut down and keeps them from speaking to anyone before making this decision. So pro-grace, yes, is idea of let's look at how Jesus interacted. You know, John 8 is one of our favorite stories where they come to him with a false binary, the Pharisees do. Should we stone this woman or not? Right? He's caught in a moral dilemma um, of his time, and he brings this third answer. He who is without sin can cast the first stone. So really trying to say, what's the example of Jesus in how he brings a third answer and us believing that him valuing the woman and child equally and him extending grace, that is the third answer in the abortion issue. And as Christians can embrace that, that's when we can see real change. Wow. That's so helpful because I I do think uh, for many at times, even as a pastor, you you can get into this mindset of like, oh, this is uh, something out there versus recognizing, no, this is us. us. This is the church, the body of Christ. There are people in in the congregation. This is part of our story as the people of God um, for for many folks who are here. And so I, I remember actually hearing you speak years ago, and it was really helpful where I think shortly after that, 
I was asked to uh, speak uh, on, on on the topic of abortion, and in my head, partly because of the conversation you know that you had led, I found myself going, "Okay, uh, for the people in the room where this is part of their mm-hmm. story, like, am I talking about this in a way that actually promotes the the grace mm-hmm. of the gospel and the safety of who mm-hmm. Jesus is to you know to engage that?" And so I think that's really helpful mindset shift. Where for sometimes today this can become like a quote unquote yeah. culture war issue, you know, where there's like yeah. us and them versus going, no, this, this this is us. How do we pursue Jesus faithfully together as the people of God? And so as people of God, uh, we want to be for the mother and the child, and and uh, part of being for the child is also being for the mother to actually help embrace and resource and walk with and support. Um, could you speak a bit to for? Um, the mother in in the midst of an unplanned pregnancy, what kind of things do do they need? Like, wh- what are kind of some practical, um, whether emotional or practical, or just when someone's facing an unplanned pregnancy, how can the body of Christ best wrap around and support? That's a great question, and I'll start with why we don't use the word mother because that's sending her into a emotional storm of panic, isolation, and shame. So even just by calling her the a woman and, and leveling the play, playing field and not putting that identity on her yet when it is causing so much trauma is a huge way to talk about this in our churches, the woman and the child. We use that very intentionally. Secondly, those three things I just stated, panic, isolation, and shame, are so intense for a woman facing an unintended pregnancy. And this is whatever decision she ends up making. It's not about the decision. It's about the unintended pregnancy causes her to think, many women to think, my life as I know it is over. Okay. I I see people using words like inconvenience or selfish, and I get so angry because that's not what's going on for women. It's this sense of my life as I know it is over. I am no longer the person I thought I was. If people find this out, they will no longer view me the same. It's an entire identity shift, which is what shame does. And that's why Brene Brown's research is so helpful with this. Um, And the isolation is what drives many women to think there's no one who could help me and, and the panic as well. And so if we are creating safe spaces all along by having this conversation, that's the only thing that's gonna interrupt a woman and say, well, maybe I could go to the church. And I'll give you one example, and that is when pro-grace training goes into churches, one of the first things that happens is that those people who've had abortions will say, and they'll often say, I've never told anybody in the church this, but I had an abortion. See, we're not even having that conversation. So how can women feel safe when they're in this storm of panic, isolation, shame to come? But when pastors are saying, I was part of this, when leaders in churches are saying, that was my story, just by having a safe place to have the conversation, that can make all the difference because women have to know we see them, we're there for them, we're concerned with them. It's safe for them to come with us. And then the exciting thing is, is that when you think about panic, isolation, and shame, what can be the antidote to all of those? Grace through community. Like, that's why I work with pro-grace and not anything else in society or anything political, because the Church of Jesus, when we're functioning like we should be, we can be a family. And we can say, hey, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have stuff in our life. That's what grace is all about. We're all on this journey to understand the grace of God. So come be part of our family. You'll still be welcome as yourself, this whole identity shift. It's really been amazing how that is what changes for so many women, the possibility that there could be hope 
for themselves and for their child. So it's interesting, while we protest about abortion, we actually shut down the very conversations that can open us up and make us safe to make a real difference um, in the lives of women. And so that's why at ProGrace, that's our focus. We actually don't work directly with women. We wanna train Christians, churches, and pregnancy organizations to be the first place a woman will go to when she's facing an unintended pregnancy. And it starts with us having a different mindset, like you said, and different language, and then different ways of responding. Oh, thank you. Well, are there, um, this has been really great. If, and it feels like it's been kind of conceptual. And I'm wondering if you have any stories you could share just from the work that you've been doing where uh, I, I'm trying to, I feel like it could be helpful to try and put uh, for our listeners to kind of put yourself in the shoes of someone who's facing this and maybe how the difference of the experience of um, coming to a pregnancy resource center or a church or someone who had been through a training like this and just how maybe that impacted their experience. Sure. So I was actually in Arizona. I'm thinking of Arizona um, examples. And a young woman came to, we had a lunch and learn for pastors. And so she and a representative from her church came to this lunch and learn. And when she told her story, it was heartbreaking because she had been a member of this church since she was a baby. And when she got pregnant as a teenager, the thought never occurred to her that she could go to her church. Just thought, I can't bring this to my church. She went in silence, just like the statistics show, secrecy and silence to have the abortion. And when she heard the pro-grace message, she reached out to this woman at her church who, who runs a ministry area and said, I want to start this at our church so that no other woman has to feel the way I felt, which I think is amazing and incredibly brave because she was very young. Um, we're seeing this with other places all over Arizona where it's actually the women who've had abortions who find the freedom during the pro-grace training to talk to people at their church about the abortion and they're leading the training in their church. So they're bringing, they're walking the church. We have an online training course called Transform the Christian Response to Abortion. And it's often people who've experienced this that are bringing that to their church. And then ultimately what we've also seen is um, when a church goes to this training, I'm thinking of one church in particular in Arizona, there was a woman who was coming to the church sporadically and her life was actually really challenging. There were a lot of things going on within her family of origin. She became pregnant and her boyfriend said, you need to have an abortion or I'll leave you. And what she said was, when I didn't know what to do, the first person I called was my pastor. Now, this is a dream for ProGrace. This is the ultimate dream. It takes a while. I'm telling you like the steps. The first step is the congregation needs to become safe and go through this ProGrace training. The second step is usually those who've had abortions say, I want to help shift the culture more. Eventually, those who are pregnant feel like they can come to their pastor. And in this situation, the church and the local pregnancy organization supported this young woman through her high-risk pregnancy, she was facing pregnancy discrimination at work, so she wasn't being given hours, so they chipped in to help pay her rent while she was um, pregnant. They threw her a baby shower. They sent us videos of the baby shower, and she's part of the church. There's no, like, like you said, us and them. It's us. And so this actually happened about three years ago, and I'm still in touch with that pastor, and he'll say her life is really hard, and she doesn't come all the time, but she does come, and when you ask her what her church home is, it's that church. And he'll tell you it's messy. Um, but he was actually one who was impacted by abortion and found healing through the pro-grace workshop. So there's just 
all these multiple layers of story where all of us need to find redemption, right? Like I need to repent for all the years I spent thinking of only the child, right? We all have these places and that's what Prograce really is about. Taking all the focus off the woman and this one situation and saying, let's pan out and get a bigger picture of all the systemic pressure that women face, of all the messages we've sent to the church, all the ways we haven't messaged this correctly, and let's all go on a transformational journey together. So that's why there's so much training involved for Christians. One of the things we have uh, Christians do in their exercises is we say, go talk to a family member and ask them what kind of messages you received growing up about abortion. We'll have people coming back who are in their 60s saying that a sibling said to them, I never told anyone in the family this, but that was me. I mean, Josh, this is so hidden, so buried so so deeply that it's this first sign of healing is that once we start the conversation with Grace and we start going through this training and asking the questions, it's amazing how immediately people start opening up and God starts on this trajectory that can ultimately bring healing to this whole abortion issue. Hmm. That's so powerful. And Angie, Randy, you know, obviously you are leading into this. You've given your life for you know to this. And I'm curious, it would be great to hear maybe a little more of your own story. Like how did you get so involved in in, in this conversation and helping lead uh lead this this movement? Like what what was your story for getting pretty crazy, in this? actually? I was raised incredibly legalistically. So like you backslide, you lose your salvation. And so I tried desperately to please God. I became a mini Pharisee, I call myself. I was young, um, but I was doing it to try and feel better about myself, if that makes sense. So I myself was trying to be a very vocal Christian, even in high school and judgmental of people and really pretty rigid. Um, And then I started going through my own grace awakening. And actually in that period, I felt like a failure. We ended up leaving ministry at that time. But something had happened to me before that when I was in ministry, and that is I had picked a particular Christian organization to work for because I saw women in leadership. I knew I had a call to some type of ministry, but there were no women in doing it, not even youth pastors. Nobody was doing anything in my denomination as a woman. So growing up, I thought, I'll just have to marry a pastor and sing. That's how I thought. That's how I'll do my ministry. I mean, I mean, I grew up in the 70s. That's what I thought. But this Christian organization had women in leadership. And so I joined them. I gave them my all. And when I became pregnant, they were like, okay, you're done with your work on campus. Like, you're going to be home with a child. And it was so stark, Josh, that my husband was expected to go on with his life totally as normal, and I was expected to stop. And so I started searching for other women who were maybe doing a little bit of work on campus or, you know, and I couldn't find anyone. And so I had a colleague tell me that because I wanted to be on campus still, I just didn't value motherhood. And I like accepted these lies. They were really painful because they were from my Christian family who I trusted. And so I accepted this. And was a, you know, went on my way as a stay-at-home mom. Well, interestingly enough, I could never get pregnant again after my daughter. So I gradually went back into the workforce. And guess what happened? I started dreaming again, right? I God literally restored back to me my dream because my church has said to me, or my Christian organization, you gotta choose between your child and your dreams. I mean, essentially that's what they said to me. And so as I started waking up and going back to work. When I found this Christian pregnancy centers where I landed in Chicago 15 years ago, 
I felt this passion rise up in me. First of all, because the way they were talking to women felt really degrading to me. Part of my grace journey through a church that had prayed for me and loved on me was understanding God's value for me as a woman, not just as a mother, but also as a woman. And this organization, the Pregnancy Center in Chicago, was saying and doing things to women that I was like, that doesn't, that doesn't feel like Jesus, right? Like, I, So the, that part of me started rising up. And then a couple years into it, we had research done where I get the stories about the panic, isolation, and shame. And I remember, Josh, one woman, it was verbatim, where she said, I felt so stupid. That's what I thought everyone would think of me, that I was stupid. And something about that Mm -hmm. just lodged in my heart with my own story of being shut down after getting pregnant. And I was able to just put myself in her shoes and say, that's not right. That's not God. That's not healthy for our society. Like that happens on, that happens to her from both sides, right? That's coming from liberals and conservatives. This political thing isn't going to work. We got to get in and pay attention to her. And so I think all of the healing that I'd experienced being valued as a woman and a mom and being able to be in ministry, it was like, I want that for every woman, regardless of whether she has a child or not. Like, why does it have to be such a shutting down of our lives to have a child? You know what I'm saying? So um, it's it's interesting that mine's a different journey. I never experienced unintended pregnancy or abortion. I actually experienced second time infertility. My kids are 10 years apart, interestingly. But I think it's me experiencing the other side and the other places of judgment and shutting down of women that makes me understand this as a much more holistic issue. And that when I talk about God's design of pregnancy, I really feel that viscerally for myself and other women, like there needs to be honor in this. And we need to work Mm. with men who also are a huge part of this and recapture some of God's intention for women, for pregnancy, for how men are involved. Like my passion is really for that whole piece of it. Does that make sense? But I kind of stumbled into the work. I was not looking for this in any way. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's so powerful. Thank you for sharing. And, you know, I love this theme too, you know, part of the backdrop for we've been calling prayer in action and we have these prayer in action groups here has been that in this day and age, it seems so easy to focus on kind of sound bites or platitudes, whether on social media online or how are you going to vote, you know, and, and we're not saying that you can't do that. You know, like obviously, you know, you've been given a vote. That's a, you, you can use that. that you know, that's a good thing. And, and uh, it's okay to express yourself, I guess, on social media or whatever. But going, one of our convictions, at least for me personally, has kind of become, man, I think at the end of the day, Voting has a role, but it may be the least important political action that you can take. So even in terms of, maybe the word political is is not the best put here, but going, what kind of a community are we here? Are we a countercultural community that's actually embodying the radical grace and justice and mercy and, and life of Jesus in our community? And when we actually want to call uh, us as a people to uh, getting off the keyboards, so to speak, and actually getting engaged in the lives of people here in our local community. Can we actually invest in um, the city yep. of Tempe here where we are and lives and people here in the city in ways that go beyond the sound bites and platitudes and actually become concrete action in uh, real people's lives with our lives, you know, intertwined yep. here, in, here in our community. And along those lines, I'm curious, what what advice would you have uh, as we talk about action? When people are going, man, I really care about this. I want to get involved, but they're kind of maybe stuck going, 
what can I do? I, I know I can point to you in a minute to a couple things that, that we have going on here that people can jump into, but I'm curious, even as you've seen just some constructive ways that people who care deeply about this issue have gotten involved in their local community, what might mm-hmm. some of those look like? That's a great question. Well, I'd say, first of all, is to exactly what you're saying, think about the real the real reason why women are having abortions and really putting the political in its place because women don't have abortions because they're legal. I never had one. It was legal my whole life, but it's about the panic, isolation, and shame of that pregnancy. So I think just understanding that and reframing ourselves to understand that, and we actually have a podcast um, on our website. So it's season one, episode nine is all about this research of why women have abortions. And I think that is a key point for Christians to stop and think about when we think about the true impact of the political realm and really say, well, what about the people involved? Because we can actually do a lot for the people involved, even if a law never changes. Secondly, this understanding of the theology of the woman and the child being valued equally and grace as God's path for transformation, taking the time to unpack that. So we have decades of not thinking that way. And so for me, it's been a 15-year journey of God renewing my mind, renewing my mind, going deeper, more revelation, understanding. And so we have pathways at ProGrace for people to start doing that. So again, we have the podcast, which talks about these um, these different theological beliefs. Also, people can sign up on our website. We have an ebook that outlines the two theological underpinnings of progress, as well as the reality of women and has some next steps there. And then we do have this online course. It's an eight week, uh, one hour a week modules to be done with a small group or individually that really is not me just talking for eight hours. It's a lot of time to just step back and think, what have my mental models been in this issue? Am I taking my mental models from the political platforms or have I really lined with uh, this up with how Jesus interacted with people when he was here. So a lot of place for discussion and understanding because having a mental model, and this is why people get into culture wars and fights, get a mental model that shuts down all input, right? It takes a while for us to just say, okay, God, Holy Spirit, I'm opening up my mind. What do you want to do? So even though people say, I want to get out there and do something, I want to march, I want to hold a diaper drive, whatever, really the best thing we can do is just pause, (laughs) And let God speak to us about this theology, because once our theology and our language changes, then we're going to be much more effective in offering support to women. We can't offer support to women if they will not tell us they're pregnant. <laughs> like, we we can't. And so it's looking at ourselves first, saying, why don't women think we're safe? Having these conversations like we talked about, you know, I, we tell in our class people to go out and find a friend who isn't a believer and say, I'm just listening What do you think of how Christians have engaged in the abortion issue? Like, what do you think of us? Just asking those questions helps us understand that what we put on social media does matter. People are watching us. A friend of ours who's had an abortion may see that and decide not to tell us, right? A young woman who's facing an unintended pregnancy in our church or our small group, she can see what we write on social media and not tell us. So this is so hidden that for Christians just to do the internal work and see that as valuable is really the most important first step. Wow. 
those are great resources. I would encourage people to go uh, check those out. Uh, maybe three things I, I would point to as well here at Redemption Tempe if you're interested in get plugged in. Uh, first, just very easy kind of for admin this, this month. Uh, one of the, the the focus for this week uh, is going to is in part supporting Young mm-hmm. Lives. So one of our partnerships is a ministry that meets here uh, on campus um, and is led by Emily Chung, who's a member here, and and a number of you volunteer with this ministry as well. And this is basically a ministry that supports uh, teen moms, like mothers who are raising their young kids, and we want to wrap around and support and be a part of uh, walking that journey with them. Uh, and so uh, the you'll find on the Advent trees for this week, uh, the, the gift cards and all, and a chance to support with child care and other things that can help uh, support those mothers in a very tangible, practical way uh, who are kind of on the, uh, yeah. But uh, also a number of folks volunteer with that ministry as well. And so if you're interested in that, feel free to get in touch with us about that. Uh, a second uh, Thing I'd, I'd put out there is the foster care kinship and adoption ministry here. Uh, we want to be a, a, a community that is embracing both, as Angie said, both vulnerable children and uh, vulnerable uh, women who uh, are, are in the spot. So my wife and I, uh, as an adoptive family, one of the things I love about the model here is that we went into it and got some theological training and equipping where we said, hey, we want to be not only for the child, but also for the mother and have worked really hard to build relationship with her over the years um, as uh, as best we can to try and support her. It started with foster care. And that, that's a model that, that we have here when we believe that the both the woman and the child are created in the image of God, have immense dignity, value, and worth. And we want to be for both, not um, for one versus the other, so to speak. And so I would encourage you to check that out if you're interested, the Foster Care Kinship and Adoption Ministry. There's a variety of ways to get plugged in and involved there. And um, finally, there's the Prayer and Action Group itself as well uh, that has been happening. Now, that's uh, kind of closed currently, but there will be opportunities in, in the future as well um, as that group has been pressing forward in this area here in our city and is <clears throat> the focus. They've been leading the charge on our Advent focus here this year. So... I would encourage you to check those out. Well, Angie, I'm curious maybe if you, uh, kind of as we wrap up or, or close here, but um, how, maybe a final question here would be, man, how have you seen Jesus at work in the midst of this conversation? We've talked about some of the harder aspects and, and, and the obstacles to be overcome, but I'm curious, as you've been in this work, are there um, things, signs of hope, areas that you've seen Jesus at work that have impacted you in the midst mm, of this. That's work. a great question. And let me say first, this is why I have so much respect for redemption. Those three opportunities you laid out, you guys are already thinking this way. And that's amazing that you have that. And you have this underpinning of holistic ministry, which I've always loved. So thank you. Um, you know, the longer we work with Pro Grace, the more we say this theology isn't anything new. It's just the gospels. You know, and the deeper into our training, like our 201 levels, we end up just telling Jesus stories and looking at how he interacted with people. And so what I love is that he's showing up, revealing who he really is. And what I find is that he is just as concerned with Christians having their own transformation of grace for all the pain. And like people like me who are recovering Pharisees, I think there's a lot of us out there. And I think one of the reasons we've gone into this either or mentality is our own shame and not understanding grace. And so what I love is the holistic redemption of the Christians sitting through the training, thinking they're there to learn about abortion when really they're there to experience Jesus. 
and who he is, how he interacts with us, his grace. When we do these trainings live and we talk about, let's say, the story of John 8, every time I'm with people, they have some new insight of that story. It's one story in the Bible, but the Spirit keeps revealing these new insights about Jesus and who he is and how he views us. And so he shows up all the time in every situation because that's how we're transformed is by encountering him, by encountering his grace for every area in our life. That's when grace pours naturally out of us to other people. So I love that Jesus is concerned with everybody involved, the Christians who are wrestling with this, the women, the child, the men, like he's got this, like I say, bigger story happening. And really at the end of the day, it's all about that we would know him better and that we would be showing a better representation of him to our community. So, I mean, he's what it's all about. I love that I was able to come on in Advent because I do get a little verklempt this time of year when I think about everything he did to be close to us and how relational he is. And that's really at the heartbeat of this ministry is he's here, Emmanuel, he's with us, and he's working transformation in all of our lives. Wow. That is so good. Well, Angie, thank you so much for being with us. And thank you all who have been listening. Um, wow. Well, I just want to say thank you. Great for the work that you're doing. I would encourage everyone to go check out uh, ProGrace. It's ProGrace.org, yep. right? The website. Yep. Yeah. So feel free to check out ProGrace.org. They've got great uh, materials, training, resources, things there. And be sure to check out the Advent opportunities that we have available, uh, both on our website or in the lobby. Uh, some great ways to get, get plugged in and connected uh, on this front here at Redemption Tempe. Grateful for you all, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the All of Life podcast. To get more information on Redemption Church Tempe, you can download the Redemption Tempe app, or you can send an email to tempe at redemptionaz.com.